Uh, so, out of curiosity, uh, how, how many people have seen that movie? That scene? Okay, wow, there's actually some people who haven't. Um, so uh, that arguably was uh, the, the, the greatest scene from the uh, original trilogy um, that, that really was uh, the, <clears throat> the best part of the series of Indiana Jones movies. I, I think the last ones were pretty terrible. Um, but uh, I, I show that because if, if there's something that we can kind of narrow in on for today, what I think the takeaway is, it does really have to do with whether we trust God or not, whether we are able to put our faith in him. And it seems like the topic, uh, the theme that we're going on uh, in terms of Sabbath uh, really helps uh, to illuminate whether we really do put fully our trust in the Lord. Um, There is a well-known verse that uh, many of you may be familiar with, uh, Hebrews 11.6, that says that without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So it's saying it's impossible to please God without faith, without taking that step of faith, uh, that that trust in him. And two things, uh, anyone who comes to him, you have to believe. One is not only that he exists, but that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Uh, We're going to talk today uh, more about uh, what it is to to trust in the Lord, um, but we're going to look at the uh, aspect of a a God who rests. And uh, from the Genesis passage, uh, that gave us kind of a perspective that we were able to uh, then focus in on um, as we uh, continue today. with this idea of rest, um, I think the first point that uh, I, I want to make is that to, to enter God's rest, uh, we must strive to not work. That's to enter God's rest, we must strive to not work. That, that sounds a little bit funny, I think, just because I think all our lives, I, I think we've been told you know, to work hard, uh, to uh, essentially where our identity is based off of our hard work ethic or, or uh, how, what we do for work. Um, so this is kind of very, very different, this idea that uh, it's the one that does not work, that in, in the gospel, that's what we're told, that Romans 4, chapter 4, verse 5 says, the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So this is the upside-down kingdom that we're a part of as Christ followers, that it's the one that does not work that their faith is counted as righteousness, and that's who trusts God and who God then justifies. I think um, as we're talking about the Sabbath, I was really blown away um, in, our, in our topic uh, that I think I've grown up all along believing, and I think many in our church probably subscribe to uh, that we as uh, Christians, it's, it's part of the Ten Commandments that we certainly should observe the Sabbath, um, and, and uh, that, that's something that I, I think many of us don't even question. But 
the more you look at Scripture, I, I think I, I was really just blown away uh, by that. Uh, we were at a staff lunch this past week, and a anonymous staff member uh, started talking about how he, uh, this person wanted to uh, take a Sabbath by uh, taking a break a couple hours every day um, because he thought it was just too hard for him to uh, take a whole day completely off. So he just wanted to do it kind of piecemeal, like two hours uh, every single day and try and work that out. And I, he, he got so much flack from uh, other staff members that were like, you know, so what other part, what other Ten Commandments do you not want to follow? Uh, you just want to kind of piecemeal, you know, these things. Like, how can you not just be still for this entire day? But in thinking about it, uh, it it's interesting. The, um, do you know that of the Ten Commandments, uh, every one of the Ten Commandments is reiterated or repeated again in some form in the New Testament as carried over from the Old Testament. Every single one except for the Sabbath. You can look at it, look through your scriptures, do your research. There's nothing in the New Testament that actually admonishes believers to keep some form of Sabbath. Um, while you're thinking about that, when, when we talk about rest, especially as we, uh, Alex read the passage from, from Genesis 2, um, we, we know that uh, the heavens and the earth were completed, uh, and then the seventh day God finished the work that he had been doing, and then he rested from all this work. Um, this idea of rest is uh, not so much uh, that God, God doesn't grow tired, so it's not really rest in that sense, but it's uh, a rest meaning that he was very satisfied. You know, all th- uh, throughout Genesis uh, chapter 1, he was talking about how everything was good or very good, that he had an opportunity to just sit back and enjoy the fruits of his work. Um, and I think how that translates to us is that when we, when we have the opportunity to rest from work, we can put down our work for a time in order to uh, just enjoy, uh, to, to be satisfied with the work that we were able to complete. Um, God, God rested uh, because he finished the work and of, of whole, the whole creation by uh, in six days, so that's why he rested on that seventh day. When, when we look, though, in the New Testament, as I was alluding to, uh, Hebrews 4 it starts referencing back to that seventh day by saying that God rested from all his works in Hebrews 4, verse 4. And then after talking about Jesus in the gospel, then it says this in verse 9, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You know, this is why I think my initial point is that to, to enter God's rest, we must strive to not work, or in other words, to rest, uh, in order to enter God's rest. It, it talks about... Uh, God uh, has rested, so whoever wants to enter that rest also has to rest from their works. Um, I, I think the, the Romans passage that I mentioned that uh, really just talks about the day that you believe in Jesus, that's when you stop trying to earn your salvation by your good works. That's what it means by not working anymore. 
Um, but you enter into this permanent rest because God then is the one that justifies you and your faith then is credited to you as righteousness um, for you to be able to experience eternity with our Father. Um, I guess the question that you might ask is, uh, is uh, why, as we think about it, um, do we need to rest? Um, I think that uh, there have been different uh, signs throughout Scripture. Um, just out of curiosity, uh, in the time of Noah, there was a, a sign that was given. Does anyone know what, what that was? Any? Rainbow. Thank you, Charlie. And then in the time of Abraham, there was given another sign. Does anyone know that one? What was that? Hmm? Stars. Uh, close. I mean, there was one of the things that they said, but um, it was actually, um, I, and that was talked about his, uh, what his promises was going to have his descendants, like the stars in the sky. Uh, but I think what I was uh, attributing more is, is uh, something that you, well, uh, Maybe it's less comfortable to talk about, but circumcision was uh, the sign during Abraham's time that was talked about. And so in the time of Moses, the sign that we're talking about is what we're, we're here today in our, our series was the Sabbath. That was what was uh, mentioned uh, as the sign that was given. And so uh, in, in Exodus, it, it goes in, at length in discussing uh, Sabbath as the sign or symbol but this is a sign or symbol that points to something else. It's, it's a, almost a taste or a reminder of this world to come. A, a, uh, a, that Sabbath can, uh, for us now can be this reminder of what it means to rest in Jesus' finished work on the cross. A reminder of the gospel in that sense. Um, but in Mosaic times, it was a sign that, that uh, people were set apart uh, to observe this Sabbath. And because of the fact that it was a sign, it wasn't necessarily, unlike the other Ten Commandments, a, a law that was uh, meant to be uh, continued on because a sign points to something else that is going to come. And that, that's very different from the other Ten Commandments. Um, it, it, put it this way, if you're still kind of trying to follow what I'm saying, uh, if you think about the people in Scripture who never observed Sabbath, Adam never did. Abraham never observed the Sabbath. Isaac never observed the Sabbath. Jacob never observed the Sabbath. Joseph never observed the Sabbath. In fact, Sabbath never really appears throughout the book of Genesis. Um, it doesn't appear until uh, Exodus, and we'll talk about that later. So that's interesting, too. If, if we think that it was so important, God didn't think that that was something that was to be observed by his people all throughout uh, these early patriarchs. And, and then when you get to the New Testament, it's more fascinating to see Jesus intentionally doing things on the Sabbath to make a point. That it was almost uh, that he was trying to prove something by doing work on the Sabbath. And we know that Jesus was sinless, so in the purest sense, you can say that he never violated it. But it was just the, the, the Pharisees uh, adding on to what they felt were the restrictions of Sabbath that Jesus intentionally also set out to, to violate for them. To show that this law is symbolic, it's not a moral law. Uh, Tim Keller talks about how this is a provisional law. It's, a, it's temporary until something else comes. And the question is, what, what is that something else that we've already kind of discussed? It's this, that Jesus himself says that 
in, in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying that the, what Sabbath is pointing to is that I, says Jesus, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of resting. I'm the Lord of not working. That he went on to say that in, in Matthew 12, have you not read the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the, the Sabbath and are guiltless? For the, again, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying that he is all about the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. But he's not necessarily uh, seeking to abolish rest, though he does seem to be trying to abolish the ritual of Sabbath, or even, in some sense, picking a particular day that will carry on as a law for even believers now. Uh, when he says he's the Lord of the Sabbath, uh, Jesus reorders uh, and makes himself the focal point of the Sabbath. He, what Jesus is saying by saying he's the Lord of the Sabbath is that Jesus can do anything he wants with the Sabbath. He's greater than the Sabbath. And then out of his grace to us, he says, actually, the Sabbath was made for you. You weren't made to just obey legalistically all the Sabbath laws. It was made for your benefit. Uh, a second point is this, that um, if we rest from work, we must trust that true rest is found only in Jesus. What I'm saying is that not only is it enough that we rest from work, but we must also trust. I think, that, again, the, the clip that I showed in the beginning, that how important that element of faith is for us to really trust where our true rest comes from in the person of Jesus. I, I know from my experience, uh, when some of you, I'm sure, have practiced Sabbath, uh, my, my tendency is always to want to try to rest, to do something apart from Jesus. Uh, to, to find it in my work, um, it, it, when I'm not in a Sabbath time, or in my entertainment when, uh, when I do observe any sort of Sabbath. But what we're encouraged here is that we, we must trust God to, to provide for us, that, that you, you must believe. Um, it, it was uh, this, this Sabbath is not talking about a day or a law, but a person, that you find your spiritual rest in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11. And furthermore, it's our unbelief that forfeits rest. Hebrews 3:18 says, To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So it's not just talking about resting from work, as I said, but it's talking about resting in something, in Jesus, to trust in Jesus as our ultimate rest. It's not so much about how you observe the Sabbath or practice the Sabbath, but ultimately that you need this Lord of rest in your life, to trust him more than what you can accomplish by your work that one of the things that Sabbath does do, if you observe it, is it reveals whether you really trust God or not. That Sabbath has a way of exposing the idols in our lives. 
there's a other sense of uh, in Exodus 20, uh, it talks about how uh, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So it's not to yourself. The Sabbath is meant to be to the Lord. Um, and on it, you should not do any work. That's the main prohibition that has been talked about. Uh, the other thing is that uh, the question we should continually ask ourselves is that how do we do this? How do we Sabbath to the Lord and not to ourselves? I'll share this, that um, the time that Sabbath is initially referenced in Scripture, it's not actually during the Ten Commandments. It's a little bit right, a few chapters right before that in Exodus 16. Uh, Sabbath is first mentioned in the story about the manna, and you probably remember the story that um, the, the Israelites went out to gather uh, the manna and they were told that on the sixth day, they should gather twice as much um, so that they could store it for the next day. So they, they don't need to go out to gather it. And, and the way the manna worked uh, was kind of like, you know, any perishable items that if, if you tried to store it any other day, it would spoil. They talked about maggots would get into it, it would stink, it would rot. Um, but somehow, magically, because of God's uh, sovereignty, on the sixth day, they could store it and it would be fine. And they could eat it the next day. And the whole purpose of that, uh, it said, was so that people could rest on the seventh day. That God talks about through Moses that uh, that day is going to be a Sabbath. You're not going to find any manna on the seventh day because it's going to be a rest day for you. Um, I, I just think that, <clears throat> that this is such an interesting example because of... Uh, uh, maybe I can speak more personally uh, from my family with uh, parents um, that lived, survived war times. Um, th- there's no such thing as not like going out to gather stuff that you see for free, <laughs> no matter what's happening, that you're going to at least have a shot at it to see if it'll last, right? I- I- I've gone to uh, my-, my parents' friends' houses and it's, uh, you may know a little bit about what I know, that, that you know, it, it first starts in the garage of all the stuff that is stored and hoarded, and then it, it makes its way into the foyers and the living rooms, and it just, uh, it's, it's amazing, like, I, I think what's, uh, what I'm actually confessing is what's in my own culture, that, I, <laughs> that in my own family, I'm, I'm the hoarder of, of, our, uh, of our tribe, and, and that um, I, I'm just putting out there that is there some similarity that by this kind of hoarding mentality that we have to get as the best deal that we can, that we can't turn down any free things, uh, we can't waste any food, everything, we have to take all the leftovers home, that, uh, you know, it, it's so countercultural through some of these, even the laws of how people were to keep their fields in Old Testament times where they were supposed to leave some at the edges for the poor. It's so countercultural, I think, for many of us. And yet, here, that, that is part of what's considered the Sabbath laws, that, that you'd cancel debts for people after seven years, that there is a, an element of sacrificing or giving up things because you trust in someone greater. That it's almost like what, that's what tithing is. Right? You, you trust that you can do better with 90% at minimum of what you have than because of 
who you serve and who ultimately is in control of everything than hoarding 100% of everything you earn, right? It's, it's this idea of, in, in Sabbath, that you, you potentially don't schedule 100% of your time for everything else, but you intentionally leave some unscheduled time, intentionally, unstructured time, just to be still. And, and that's sort of getting at the heart of what Sabbath is and, and what it would look like to not be potentially hoarding all of our work opportunities or educational opportunities like manna um, and the Israelites who couldn't resist, even after God told them, just take a day of rest. They, they couldn't resist going out there just to hoard whatever they could, and they found out that it ended up spoiled and, and rotting. It, it was almost like uh, when, when I've uh, seen in uh, going to law school, uh, everything is on a curve. So... The temptation is that anytime you're not studying, you're losing steps to other people who are getting ahead of you. And, you know, there's horror stories of, like, pages getting, back then, ripped out of books in the library. Back before, uh, that's how old I am. They didn't do stuff online. Uh, they, there was stuff, like, about uh, just all this competition. And I remember a law school professor telling me that he observed over the years that the, the students that really excelled knew to, to turn things off like, you know, whether it was like on a, on a Saturday night to a Sunday night. They just knew to just not do anything more, to get a sense of perspective, to be able to rest, to refresh themselves. Um, and I think that's really at the heart of what it means to trust the Lord um, in, in knowing how to rest from our work. Um, that, that even though we can work wholeheartedly unto the Lord, there is a time for rest and a time to dethrone work from the center of our lives. I think of uh, Jonah 2.8 uh, that says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. We think of all the things that we pursue as idols in our lives in terms of our reputation or uh, wanting to get a good job so we can make a good income, so we can have lots of things. And this verse is reminding us that you cling to those worthless idols and you run that rat race, you end up forfeiting this rest, this grace that could be yours. And ultimately, we know that our identity uh, as Christ followers should not be coming from uh, what we do and, and how we work, uh, but it's already placed in the finished work of Christ, and that's why we can rest, ultimately. That we're led by Christ to still waters, kind of like in Psalm 23, that he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. It's this idea of back in the times of the Exodus when people were slaves, that they had to work all the time. They had no choice. And God was saying, no, you are a free people, that you have the opportunity to rest and to reflect, to enjoy his creation, to enjoy him. That's why I think for many of us, I think it's so hard, I think, to ever even turn off any of our devices, uh, to, to you know, take a break, that, that for many of the, the fasting that we do, the hardest part of it is the electronic and the media part of it. Um, and yet, how many of us you know, feel more tired after binge-watching the latest show? That, that 
that our goal should actually be to find what truly is replenishing to us and to pursue that. Um, yeah, that uh, towards the end, I'll, I'll probably get uh, uh, some more things uh, to say about that. But, um, you know, even as I think about uh, my, my three oldest kids, we have them all in one room. But you, you think that you might feel sorry for them until you realize that they, they're begging to, like, sleep all in one mattress. So now we've put out, like, this big mattress in the center of the room for all three of them to sleep. And the thing is, they don't sleep. They hate sleep. That's like the worst part of their day is like their nap. It's torture for them. And that's why you see them running around the way they do here every Sunday because th these guys, they never really get rest uh, until we force them to. And it's almost like in a strange sense that God has to do that with us, to force us to rest, to know what's good for us. Um, I think of uh, this third point that... Um, now, before I get there, uh, maybe one more uh, example is this, that I was talking to one of our, our church members, and I was talking about, uh, she was talking about her uh, feeling like she's left behind some of her friends who have already bought homes, and uh, she feels like, you know, she's still renting, and that she needs to work harder uh, in order to save up so that she can buy uh, a place of her own like her other friends. And I remember just sharing with her, like, you know that old saying that it's not often whether you, you own a home, but it's whether the house owns you. And uh, just from our experience of renting versus owning just in the span of this past year, owning isn't always what it comes out to be, especially in this state where I think we're taxed at the highest rate in, in the country. Um, I, I think of people who work so hard uh, to earn such an income that they save up and in my law practice, getting to see what happens when they die with that money. Do you, do you know that people who store up so much money that it, it creates so much issues with their children when the money is just given directly to this generation, the next generation, that there, there's a saying about how it spoils the generation, that they, they have no ambition, no desire to uh, discover their gifts and abilities because they're just given this large sum of money by parents that work so hard to give that to them. Uh, in contrast, you know, I've, I've had uh, other clients decide that they're going to do something differently, and so they decide to give their money to charity. <laughs> then you see the huge infighting among the family that happens when their children don't receive the, the labors of their parents' work. So all, earning all that income causes so much strife, is my point, that we, we think of that as such the ideal of why we're working so hard. But at the end of life, when you look backwards, you see actually how much, how much strife and problems that causes by amassing and hoarding such a large amount of wealth. I think of uh, with even... You know people who don't manage their money well? I, I find this fascinating that those that I, I saw, who, uh, clients who had passed away that incurred thousands and thousands of dollars of credit card debt. Um, I, I was going to ask how many people have credit card debt, but I, I won't do that. Uh, do, do you know what happens with that money when you die that's owed? Nine times... I'd say maybe almost 10 times out of 10. I've only seen it happen. I've only heard about it happening once. The credit card companies are so wealthy 
they never bother filing a claim in court to collect on their thousands of dollars because they're making so much money of all the interest that you're paying them if you're behind and all the people who are paying by. That it's so interesting to me that whether somebody amassed a fortune or they incurred debt, it all turns out the same at the end. And it's so interesting that we put so much stock in this life rather than the life to come, which is for eternity. The third point is this, that Jesus' love triumphs over even rest. Jesus' love triumphs over rest. What I mean by that is that I, I think I'm, this past week I've been so tempted, I think, to uh, want to live my life uh, in, in a certain way of principle, and yet I read in Scripture that mercy triumphs over judgment. And we see Jesus modeling that uh, throughout his life, that Jesus and his love triumphs over even rest. Uh, what, I, what I mean is that Jesus' uh, disciples were once told uh, by Jesus, uh, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And this is in Mark 6. And yet so many people were coming to them that Jesus had compassion on them like they were sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And this was the, the story where uh, the, the disciples don't understand about uh, Jesus feeding them with the loaves. He's asking them to feed them. Uh, it talks about how their hearts were hardened after that. And I think what, what happened was that the disciples were so fixated about going to this quiet place to get some rest that they failed to connect that with the person of Jesus, that, that they needed Jesus more then they needed rest, that Jesus ultimately is that rest. But they were so fixated on just getting away by themselves to get their rest. That, that Jesus, out of his love, had compassion on sheep without a shepherd, and that's why he interrupted their rest. But that gave them, uh, caused their hearts to be hardened as a result of that. Uh, it's interesting, the new commandment is... By this, all men will know that you are by my disciples, by your practice of the Sabbath. Uh, we know that's not the case. It's by your love for one another. So it's, it's, it's interesting that uh, if, if what I'm saying and sharing about the Sabbath irritates some of you, it's, it's, we know that that's not ultimately uh, the, the sign or the mark of a believer, um, again, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I think what I'm also saying is that Sabbath can be an idol if it's just about you. If you just value your own leisure time uh, over connecting that time with Jesus. Um, that you don't Sabbath, uh, you don't ever uh, Sabbath by uh, taking a break from loving God or loving people. Um, the, the Pharisees during the time of Jesus were, were all about elevating their Sabbath laws over knowing that the Son of God stood in their midst, that they cared much more about their rules of how we should not work rather than seeing Jesus miraculously loving people and healing people, that the Pharisees missed the whole point of the Sabbath and they found no rest from their works because they were trying to earn their salvation. 
Jesus did away with the Sabbath by becoming our rest with God and giving us his righteousness, as we've talked about, so that we don't have to work to earn anymore. That it got so bad for Jesus that the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. Uh, so maybe a, a few things just to take away from this. Wherever you land on the Sabbath, whether you believe as a Christ follower, if you are one that you have to practice the Sabbath, or if you believe as, uh, that Jesus is your Sabbath rest, and that's not necessarily something that you have to follow to a T. L- let me say a few concluding thoughts about this. Romans 14.5 essentially just talks about don't make such a big issue of the Sabbath. 14.5 says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced to his mind. The one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Um, I think what that's talking about is that uh, we should give each other the freedom to practice the Sabbath in the way that connects us to Jesus. Galatians 4 talks about, and 5 talks about, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. And this is the Apostle Paul, obviously. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Colossians chapter 2 uh, that we had mentioned that talks again about let no one pass judgment on you regarding a Sabbath. These, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ, that it all points to Christ. Sabbath is just meant to be a shadow of the things to come. Uh, so knowing this, uh, we can still strive to make Sabbath a way to remember his work on the cross and his creation and to worship him, but I don't think we should mandate that for our fellow believers who may not feel the same way. Uh, Justin Taylor, a writer for the Gospel Coalition, has this article up uh, called, Is the Sabbath Still Required for Christians? He says this, that believers are called upon to honor and respect those who think the Sabbath is still mandatory for believers. But if one argues that the Sabbath is required for salvation, such a teaching is contrary to the Gospel and should be resisted forcefully. In any case, Paul makes it clear in both Romans and Colossians that the Sabbath has passed away now that Christ has come. It is wise, naturally, for believers to rest, and hence one principle that could be derived from the Sabbath is that believers should regularly rest. Um, I I was sharing about that story about that staff member that was anonymous. Uh, I'll just call him uh, D.O., and D.O., didn't, uh, you know, feel like he really should take, practice the Sabbath a whole 24 hours. In fact, David Otua, the associate pastor at Wicker, said that he wanted to break it up two hours at a time every day, and he got a lot of flack for that. But I called him after I was doing the research on this, and I was calling him up and saying, hey, you know, I, I'm so sorry that, you know, everyone was giving you so much flack about that. You know, you're, you're actually right. You know, I, I don't think it says in Scripture, when I'm reading the New Testament, we shouldn't be judging each other on how you do the Sabbath. And even though people were saying that you don't practice the Ten Commandments, I think this is the one commandment that you actually can have freedom with as a Christ follower. Um, so, uh, some of you who've gone to the retreat, in, in, in closing, let me say this. Um, 
uh, at Cedar Lake, I think there is a lodge called Restawile Lodge. Some of you remember that? It comes from this verse, Mark 6, 31. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. I, I want to close by just sharing with you maybe some principles we can extrapolate. If it's not necessarily having to legalistically follow a Sabbath a certain way, but rest is a good principle to observe in how we can trust God, how we can connect with Jesus. Uh, A writer by the name of Vernal Wilkinson uh, from Christianity Today writes an article called Exhausted, and she says this about this passage. First, this is talking about separateness, you know, and coming away by yourselves. Jesus puts an emphasis as if to say, come away with uh, yourselves. Don't bring anything with you, but leave it all behind. In this busy world, separating ourselves uh, is the first step towards the cure for exhaustion. Henry Nouwen says, it is important to look at our daily calendars again and schedule some useless time in the midst of our busy work. I think that's very fascinating. Schedule some useless time in the midst of our busy work. Second thing she says about this is uh, when Jesus is talking about coming to a lonely place. This purpose of loneliness is not to be lonely, but it's to get you to Jesus and, and this, this quality of loneliness, Jesus is specifying this desert place. His intention is to put his dis- disciples in surroundings that will poise them for recovery. That desert surroundings are uninhabited by others. They force us to ourselves. A person can shut down completely. A lonely time and a lonely place open us up to re-examine the sources of our true worth and to re-establish our core values. In a busy place, we gauge our worth by how omnicompetent we are. But in a lonely place apart, our true worth and value in Christ become apparent. I love that last part. In a lonely place apart, our true worth and value in Christ become apparent. And that's why Sabbath is such a good test of who we really trust. Uh, One final thought on Sabbath is that if you wonder about things we can do on Sabbath that I haven't heard yet, repentance is a good place to start. Isaiah 30, 15 says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and truth is your strength. But you would have none of it. In repentance and rest is your salvation. If you have any sort of guilt feeling in Sabbath, uh, please know that this is not about trying to do more or earn your way towards God by practicing any sort of Sabbath. This command is for you and your benefit to be able to worship God by resting. That if you trust God, you get to do this. You, You get to have this opportunity to reconnect with him and unplug from this world. Again, if you feel legalistic about this, then you've missed the point and turned Sabbath into an earning instead of a resting. Um, that back even in the old days, it, you weren't supposed to fast on the Sabbath. It was a day of feasting. And so there's this very humane element uh, to the Sabbath um, that unfortunately many of us, like the Pharisees, are so consumed with these rules that we forget mercy that's at the heart of it. And that's what my last point, that ultimately 
It's Jesus' love that triumphs over rest or the Sabbath. I'm going to uh, segue, I guess in the best way that I can point us uh, after this message, is uh, we're going to have an opportunity uh, to take the Lord's Supper together. And that's really an opportunity to celebrate, to rest in the finished work of Christ. If there's ever a time that you wonder, why do we sit here and just come up and take these elements and just be able to uh, symbolically refresh ourselves, it's to know that our salvation, like our identity, is not based on our performance or our work, but it's only based on the finished work of Christ on the cross.